2: Hey, good morning or good afternoon. It's Ryan Payne, Bob Payne filling in for Steve today. Steve's actually going to jump in later in the show. But, Bob, man, oh, man, it has been a crazy week on the street of dreams, as you like to say, with, you know, we see unemployment, jobless claims came down, we're seeing inflation everywhere, we're seeing lots of crazy things going on, and the stock market's just going wild here. What do you take? What's your take on this, Bob?
3: You know, Rob, before we get into that, I was just listening to Larry Kudlow, and Steve was actually... On with Larry's, he's like he's going to join us a little bit later, and they made a really good statement. They said, "Hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but women women run run the world." And um, you know, I, I know that's the case here at Payne Capital Management. With eighty percent of our employees are women, but uh, you know, they're going to have a big impact on what's going on right now.
2: They really are. And if you look at consumer spending, you know, women do run the world. It's not actually men. And look, I mean, you look at retail sales, you look at consumer spending. I mean, everything's on the up and up, economically speaking. And you know, to Larry's point, it's like, why do we need to print more money? I mean, this is a, this is a hot economy, Bob. This is the most red-hot economy I've ever seen in my 20 years since I've been working. And you know, what's your vantage point?
3: Well, you know, Rob, besides having a hot economy, we've been in a big, booming bull market now for a good 10 years. Um, and the problem that we see right now is this big threat we're getting from that insidious Hidden tax, we call inflation. I mean, is there really anything else to talk about right now?
2: Well, I'm confused. You know, didn't the Fed just come out a couple months ago and say, "Don't worry, it's transitory. Nothing to see here. Ignore it. Inflation's going away." But Bob, you know, I gotta believe my lion eyes here. But look at, you know, you look at fuel prices, oil prices are at a seven-year high. It's insane. You go to the grocery store. I mean, what's a steak cost nowadays? So, I mean, we're really seeing that inflationary pressure everywhere. And even from an investment perspective, you look at our portfolio right now. You know, it's those dead asset classes that did nothing for a long time, like commodities, energy stocks, uh, cyclical stocks that have just been rocking and rolling here as the economy you know continues to boom. See, I think that's what we're looking at right now, Rod. We got this historical
3: rate you know wage waging of war right now between all this pessimistic news we're getting on inflation, and it's not pessimistic news; it's real, right? I mean. It, Filling up your car, going to the grocery store, um, trying to get something delivered to your home is almost ridiculous. But, you know, because of the pandemic, you know, the Federal Reserve and the government responded to this pandemic with historic levels of stimulus. So You have all this money out there right now that's flooding into the markets, fighting against you know, all the negative headwinds that we're seeing almost on a daily basis.
2: I mean, the the, the headlines are negative, right? There's no getting around it. I mean, we, you and I, we watch the financial news every day. It's like slowing growth. You know, the government's going to take the punch bowl away. Rates are going up. Inflation's persistent. Supply chains are a mess. And we're going to have massive tax and spending proposals that are coming through. So, you know, the question I'm getting all the time from clients is just like, how can the economy continue to be booming here? And how can the stock market continue to go up? And this is something you and I have talked about every week. You know, Every economist and strategist on Wall Street, which we love to make fun of, Bob, kept calling for we're going to get this big stock market correction. It's going to go down 10%, 20%. And you and I said, you know what? I don't know about that. With so much money out there just sitting in cash, where is money going to go? And that's exactly what we've seen here. Every dip in the stock market has been bought. And I think this week turned a lot of heads because no one expected the market to ramp like it did this past week. Maybe you and I, Bob, but, you know, I don't want to be Pollyanna here.
3: Well, when it comes to these investment strategists, I think they have to start to rewrite, you know, their copy. Because when they come out and say, well, you know, we're going to have a 5% correction, then the market goes straight up. Well, now we're going to have a 10% correction, <laughs> market goes straight up. Now I think it's going to be 15%. So I think what they should start doing is say, I hope that the market goes down like I'm telling you it's going to. So last <laughs> I checked, Rye, hope is not an investment strategy. When you have something going up, like energy, like oil, natural gas has tripled, right? You align your portfolio to benefit. You go back a year ago, 12 months, and you look at where the action was in the market. Everybody was pouring their money into tech stocks. But over that 12 months, we've had a transition, right? We had this, um, we had this trade where you should be in energy. Energy, energy stocks are up 94% over the last 12 months, right?
2: it's 94%. It's insane, right? I mean that's that's a huge move. I mean you basically wiped out years of losses cuz oil did nothing for a decade ever, you know, the the I think the everyone was talking about how fossil fuels were over, we're not going to need them anymore, which we know peak demand for fossil fuels is another decade away. <laughs> you know, so you know, not everything's going to run on electric vehicles uh you know on on all these clean energies for a very very long time. And that narrative has been completely wrong because we're seeing now that we're undersupplied. Uh, global demand's going up as global economies around the world are starting to reopen. They're starting to boom again, and I think that's the bigger story. You know, one thing we talk about a lot is how markets are forward-looking. Right? They're looking into right. the future, not what's going on right now, and what you're hearing from companies. We have you know quarterly earnings are coming out. The banks just they they just blew earnings away, and they're telling you, look, things are looking better. And that's exactly what the stock market's telling you is, you know, economically speaking, things are really starting to heat up and you really can't ignore it.
3: Well, that's the whole thing, right? When you look at the markets and remember, this show is called More Money. This is about making more money money. I want more money. More money. Yeah, more money in the portfolio, not less money. And what happens when you have all this liquidity that injected into the market? Remember, the Federal Reserve was really tasked with controlling short-term interest rates but through quantitative easing because they're out there buying bonds. Actually, they've cornered the market now in the 10-year treasury. They own more treasuries than anybody on the globe. So basically, what by going out and buying long-dated bonds, they're they're flattening the yield curve. And when you have a flattening of the yield curve and you have inflation growing, it really damages what we call long-duration assets. Now, that's a fancy way of saying, Rye, that long-term bonds are going to go down because interest rates are going up. It means growth stocks, which have been the dominant performer over the last 10 years, are going to underperform. So you have to rotate into the areas of the economy that are recovering, some more cyclical stocks, like you mentioned, energy, financials. That's the place to be right now. And you have to align your portfolio with the reality of the market, of the economy.
2: Well, that's exactly right. And I think that the wrong conventional wisdom here is oh, my God, inflation's kicking in, interest rates are going up. I need to sit in cash. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's the worst place you can be because if cost of living is going higher. And look, we've seen inflation rates of four or five percent, which are probably more persistent than the Fed had want us to believe. Well, remember, if you're sitting in cash right now, earning that point zero 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 one percent, you're actually losing four to five percent a year versus the cost of living. Whereas if you have a portfolio that's invested, like you mentioned, Bob, if you know, you don't want to just be the consumer. You want to be the owner. Well, companies are raising their costs. They're raising their prices. And us as consumers, we feel that when we go out and we're spending money, but we benefit from that if we're stockholders, if we own commodities, if we own those inflation hedges in our portfolio. You've got to put your money to work right now. The worst place you can be in an inflationary environment is sitting in cash. And you remember what the early 80s looked like, Bob. I know you had a great time in the early 80s, but man, oh man, inflation was rampant.
3: Well, it wasn't inflation then, right? It was hyperinflation. I mean, we had interest rates going up every year. Mortgage rates got all the way up to 22%. I remember when we bought our first home, the home that you grew up in, the bank was very generous. They said, Bob, we're going to give you a 21% 30-year fixed rate for your mortgage. And I said, well, maybe I'll take one of the adjustables. And I got an 11% adjustable rate, and I thought I had a bargain. I mean, it felt like a deal back then. That's how high inflation was.
2: Yeah, meanwhile, today you can get a 30-year mortgage at 3%. So it's you know, obviously even with rates coming up a little bit, you know they're still relatively low in the context of history.
3: But look, well, you go and- back and think about cash back then, right? right? Money market funds were 19%. Money market fund today is one basis point. Now, 1% is 100 basis points. So you're getting one basis point yield, which is nothing, right? So we had 19%. I remember sitting in my uh, locker room at my country club back in the uh, 80s and somebody yelling, we need President Carter back. And I said, what? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> they said, yeah. I mean, that guy got us 19% on our cash. That guy knew how to run a recession. We need him back. <laughs>
2: <He did laughs> That's have a how great, bad it was. He did have a great smile as well, but uh, he only lasted one term. But look, that's, that's the point right now. You know, you can't sit in cash right now. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, like, I need to get on top of my finances, I need a game plan. The market is ramping here. I didn't expect it to. I've been sitting in cash. Well, each week we offer 10 financial reviews, our financial master plan. There's no financial services firm out there that offers this comprehensive review up front. We'll literally look at everything. If you're one of the next 10 callers or you give us a text at 844 752 6692, Bob and I will look at everything. We'll look at Literally, every investment that you own. We'll look at your diversification. We'll put together a full income plan for you. Like when that paycheck stops, how are you going to live off your portfolio? How are you going to account for inflation? We'll put together a full income plan, tell you how to take Social Security, optimize the income on your portfolio. We're going to look at diversification. We're going to look at every part of your portfolio where you have major risk. If the market does sell tomorrow, are you protected or are you sitting in cash? earning nothing, trying to figure out what to do. We're going to put together a full investment game plan show you how to grow your wealth, protect your wealth, and we're going to look at fees and taxes. Taxes are a problem. They're probably going up. We're going to show you exactly how to defend against taxes, all the strategies we're using, reduce costs in that portfolio. If you give us a call or text right now, we're doing 10 today. Give us a call or text at 844-752-6692 and make sure that you're not running out of money. That's 844 752 6692 we're going to do 10 so give us a call or text at 844-752-6692 look we have got a great show more money today we've got special guests today we've got Andy Pugster excuse me the fourth, former chief executive officer of CKE CKA restaurants the parent company of Hardee's and Carl's Jr he's going to be talking about inflation supply chain issues employment we're going to cover it all today it's going to be a great show
1: This is More Money with economist Steve Moore. Now, Steve Moore.
2: All right, now it's time for the market market update where we give you our views for what happened this past week.
3: Hey, Rye, this week on the Street of Dreams, investors started the week with what I call an oh-no pessimistic attitude. They were focused on inflation, COVID, supply chains, workers, strikes, reconciliation, tapering, taxes, and interest rates. However, oh-no suddenly changed to FOMO, as you know, is a fear of missing out when investors suddenly recognized that the world doesn't end very often. And that led to a huge everything rally to finish the week. Now, I mean everything except gold and bond funds, proving once again that investing is really hard because it's so counterintuitive. You know, the market always does what it has to do to frustrate the majority opinion of the day. The problem with all the recent oh-no pessimism is that when everyone's thinking the same thing, it's already reflected in the price of the market. As the consensus opinion becomes more pessimistic, it lowers expectations, and what really matters – is how expectations align with reality. And when expectations are low, it gives reality a low bar to clear and produces the positive surprises that drive the market up over that proverbial wall of worry. And that's exactly what happened this week. You know, the reality is the economy is still growing. Demand is solid. Employment and wages are rising. Shipping costs have actually started to fall, and confirmed COVID cases are now dropping. Jobless claims and continuing claims came in late earlier this week better than expected. The PPI, you know, the producer price index, otherwise known as the input prices, were slightly below below estimates, which suggests while there is inflation, which you and I have been talking about, this PPI number says it's under control versus being out of control. Well, we'll see. And then we had the ultimate reality test this week, the start of earnings season. You know, with all the reports so far, beating estimates on both top and bottom lines. And forward guidance was very upbeat. Now, you remember ice hockey all-star Wayne Gretzky? He so famously said, I skate to where the puck is going, not to where it's been. Well, you know what? The market does the same thing. While the media keeps us focused on the current issues of supply chains and shortage of workers, you know, where we are and where we've been, you know, the market's looking forward. It's looking to where we're going to be. And that's why... Many indices closed this week at or near their all-time highs, reminding all of us that when it comes to the global economy and it comes to the markets, you know, the world doesn't end very often. Now, why? you know, Ryan, this is why we follow a process-driven strategy, you know, rather than an event-driven strategy, because this way it keeps your portfolio, our portfolio aligned with reality. And the reality is, uh, you got to achieve your goals. You got to achieve your family goals. And if you're thinking you deserve a tailored strategy that has the highest success of, uh, odds of success of meeting your goals, well, as you mentioned earlier, we do take 10 callers each week and we are able to provide what we call the most unique process of its time. You know, if you missed out last week, we're sorry, but here's your chance. If you want to get a full review of your portfolio, see if you're aligned with the realities of your goals, just simply text or call 844-752-6692 or call 844-PLANNYC. That's 844-PLANNYC.
2: You know, it's funny that you just mentioned, and I think this is an interesting thing to look at, is one, every commercial that's out there, if you're watching maybe Fox or Fox Business, which, you know, I tend to be on every week. Uh, is these gold commercials, right? There's always the talk about how gold is like the ultimate inflation hedge, and you should have it in your portfolio. And it's you know, just like the markets love to confound the majority. Well, gold has done horrible here. Like you said, the like the only asset class besides bonds that didn't do well in the last couple of weeks has been gold. And it just it just it's remarkable that we always think of gold as this inflation hedge. And there's all these great commercials out there telling you how it's like the best investment on earth. But that's not really what's happening right now in reality.
3: Well, the problem with gold, Rye, is you can't carry it around, you can't eat it, doesn't pay a dividend, and you got to pay to store it. And as I look at you know the last ten years, you saw the U.S. stock market go up fifteen percent a year, which has been phenomenal, um, and you saw gold only go up five percent a year. And this year, everything's up. You know, especially you know they, you know, especially the you know energy and financials. Those stocks are up really big this this past week. But you look over the past year, the only asset class that's not up is gold, and it's really it's down seven percent year to date. So I don't know what it it's, it's a hedge against deflation, inflation, or it's just something that people like to do commercials about. I'm not sure.
2: I don't know, Bob. Maybe I now resent buying those uh, those gold coins uh, through the internet. So <laughs> bad decision, bad decision. Um, but you know, it's funny. We you know we work on about fifty portfolios a, a month. You know, we look at probably more volume than any other investment firm out there, and just look at how. You're investing your money right now. We kind of see how allocations are. And what's interesting about that is everyone tends to be invested the same way. And I know you worked on a case recently where a couple came in and they wanted to do one of our financial master plans and review their portfolio. And I'm looking at this right now, Bob. This looks like the typical portfolio we see week after week and typical mistakes that a lot of us are making right now, again, given the fact that the world's changing drastically um, and, you know, looking at this, there's a lot of what we would call, quote-unquote, pain points, P-A-Y-N-E, of course.
3: Yeah, you know, I, on the market commentary, I talked about consensus opinion, right? But we had, we tend to invest along consensus. I mean, there's two professional people. They're, they're ready to retire. They're going to retire early because they've done a phenomenal job of saving. Now, the only problem is they have those savings spread across 14 different accounts. And when you tally up all the accounts… Ouch. They didn't realize it, their advisors didn't realize, it because they have advisors all over the place, they have 20 percent of their money in cash right now. Now, one of their 401k plans has a, a, a money market fund that yields zero, not even one basis point. It, adds, it yields zero. They have a million dollars sitting at zero. Now, ah. I don't care if you're risk-averse or you love risk, but zero is a you know kind of a guaranteed rate of return.
2: <laughs> Look, I'm not a, I'm not a genius here, but zero is a bad return on your money, right? That's not good. Um, but that's what I like about when we run these numbers because I think a lot of times you don't realize how much cash you're sitting on when you have 14 different accounts, which just sounds like like horrible to me. You can imagine tax time when you have you know 15, four, excuse me, 14 different uh, tax reporting statements. That just sounds like a buzzkill. But the irony is, what you find is you're probably sitting on too much cash, earning nothing. And the other interesting thing, and you're seeing this with this portfolio here, is you've got all these different holdings, and they've got great names, Bob, like the American Funds, American Balanced Fund, Vanguard Wellesley Income Fund, American Funds Growth Fund, uh, American Funds Asset Allocation Fund. Fantastic names. But when you like look under the hood and you see how they're invested, they're all invested in the same thing. You have no diversification, and this is one of the biggest mistakes we see is When Wall Street puts together a portfolio, they just buy the same stuff, even though it has different names.
3: They really do. Right. In spite of the fact, over the last hundred years now, I've been around a pretty long. Right. But not 100 years, but I have studied the markets over the last hundred years. The best performing investment class is small company value. They have no money invested there. Uh, They have no money in commodities. Right. We have inflation going up. They have no hedge against uh, inflation. They don't any commodities whatsoever. They don't have anything in non U.S. stocks. So all their money is concentrated in large capitalization growth stocks, which did well for a while, but it's underperforming right now. But their biggest complaint wasn't their performance because they've accumula- accumulated so much money they barely have to get a return, you know, to stay retired once they do. But their biggest complaint was when they put their money with the American Funds Group, everything they recommended was in the American Funds family of funds. Oh, my right, God. About, they put their I'm money shocked. with Fidelity. Right? <laughs> when they put their money with Fidelity – Every single investment strategy was a fidelity fund. When they put their money with Vanguard, everything they recommended was Vanguard. Now, you know, maybe they have some smart people at these firms, but I don't think anyone has a monopoly on great
2: investments. Do you, Ry? <laughs> some people say I would. Maybe I'm the only one who thinks that. So it's probably not true. But yeah, no, you're right <laughs> here. Like, there's no coincidence here. Let's see. The fund company, you know, they basically recommend the funds that they are the purveyors of. Like that's shocking, right? And that's basically how Wall Street works. It's literally a huge conflict of interest. It's almost like back in the day when you go to a doctor and that doctor took that great vacation from Merck or Pfizer and they only recommended their pharmaceuticals, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's that's essentially how Wall Street works. And that's why you know you got to be really careful because, yeah, you're right, American funds do have some great funds. But are all their funds the best? Are all Vanguard funds the best? And, you know, it's important that, you know, you do get some sort of unbiased opinion. And it's very hard to do that because most of these firms are literally going to be biased to what lines their pocketbook. Shocking, right? So, you know, one of the things you have to look at is, okay, who's providing the advice that I'm getting? And is there a conflict of in- interest there? And what we find is more often than not, there's a huge conflict of interest with who's giving you the device, and, again, whose interests are aligned. And A lot of times it's not well, yours. It's
3: not really Wall Street's fault, right? I mean, let's face it. They have really two motives, right? First of all, they're, they're, they want to be a fiduciary. They want to do what's in your best interest. But at the same time, they're held accountable you know, to their shareholders or to their management team, and they have to make a profit. Now, I don't want to be cynical, but it seems sometimes – Banks, insurance companies, Wall Street, big mutual fund companies, they tend to lean towards making the most money for the firm. So, you know, sometimes it's like, well, you know, the the fund didn't do that well. But, you know, I made money. The company made money. You know, you, the investor, didn't. Two out of three is pretty good odds. Um <laughs> You know, I don't think that makes you feel too good as an investor, but you know, you need to work with a fiduciary who has your best interest in mind. I think that's the way to go.
2: Yeah, the key is it's like, right, the old school versus new school. right? Old school, old school brokers are like your Morgan Stanley's, your, your Wells Fargo's, all the big banks of the world are old school. They're old school brokers. They don't have to act in your best interest. But now we're in the age of the fiduciary, the registered investment advisor, where you can get someone who's liable for their advice. It has to be unbiased. Or they're legally in you know, a liable for the advice that they give. And I think that's something you have to look at here, especially if you're at the point where you're down that home stretch for financial independence or you're retired now, like get that a second opinion from someone that doesn't have a conflict of interest. Like that's the difference between night and day when it comes to your planning and the world is changing. You've got to change your strategy. You can get better advice than you could in the past.
3: Yeah. The other, the other big issue that I saw with this couple was they had a fair amount of money. In the bond market, but they didn't have what I call fixed income investments, right? They had investments in open-ended bond funds, which are not fixed, right? The rate of returns not fixed. So as a result, you know, there's no um, there's no safety as interest rates go up. So that was the biggest other risk that I saw they had in this portfolio.
2: Yeah, so it's like you know, get that second opinion and start taking a look at like where you're at, and that's why we offer. Look, you have about five slots left. If you give us a call or text right now, we'll do that full analysis for you. We'll do all the work up front. There's no other firm on Wall Street that's willing to do this. We literally will take a look at every investment you own. We'll get all the underlying costs on those investments. We'll look at your diversification. We'll look at like what risk you have in your portfolio. We'll put together that full income plan. You need an income plan for retirement. You have to figure out how you're going to draw from your portfolio, how you're going to account for inflation, how are you're going to take Social Security. We'll do all of that for you up front. And we'll look at fees and taxes. We'll do a deep dive. We'll show you where those hidden costs are on those annuities, mutual funds, insurance products. And look, I think taxes are going higher. Don't be naive here. The government needs to pay for all this spending. You've got to have that tax plan, whether it's Roth conversions, taking money out of your retirement accounts early. Your retirement accounts are a ticking tax time bomb. We'll put together a full plan to optimize taxes, show how to generate tax-free income so that you're fully protected for retirement. We have five slots left. Give us a call or text right now at 844-752-6692. That's 844 844- 752 6692. Get a second opinion by a financial advisor, certified financial planner, fiduciary at 844 752 6692. That's 844 752 6692. Stick around. We got a lot of great stuff coming your way. So stay right there.
1: It's more money with leading economist Steve Moore. Now, here's your host, Steve Moore.
2: All right, we're back, and I'm handing the baton over. Mr. Steve Moore is joining us halfway through the show for some more money. And we've got a special guest today, Andy Puzder, who's going to be on the former chief executive of CKE Restaurants, the parent company of Hardee's, and Carl's Jr. Steve, man, we've been waiting for you all morning. Good afternoon.
0: (laughs) Hey, well, well, gentlemen, great to be with you. Boy, what a week this has been. And I've been just really shopping at the bit to talk to my friend Andy Puzder. Uh, He is one of the top uh, businessmen in America, ran CKE restaurants, and and knows business and knows the labor market probably as well as anyone in the country. And, uh, Andy, thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Yeah, I think Andy's coming on in a minute, but I'll tell you what I want to hear about is those supply chain issues. I want to know about what's going on in unemployment because it seems like there's way more jobs than people to fill them. And we know that inflation is, like, one of the biggest problems right now. You're hearing it on, like, every earnings call. So I think, yeah. you know, his perspective is going to be very, very interesting. And it's actually it's really going to dictate, too, what you have to be thinking about when it comes to investing, how to position yourself here. Because the economy is changing, Steve. I'm not living under a rock here, man. Things are definitely happening right now.
0: So the inflation is real. It's not temporary. It's not transitory. It's getting worse, not better. Uh, we got the report this week, as you know, they came in at uh, on an annualized basis. We're seeing inflation of about six percent. That's a that's a lot, especially because wages are only growing at four percent. So people are losing money, uh, you know, in terms of the amount of money they can amount of things they can buy with their paychecks. Their paychecks are shrinking, and you've got a lot of factors at play here. One of them is these energy markets, where you're seeing gasoline prices across the world, not just across the country, going way up. And that's in part because uh the United States is producing less and when when we produce less <laughs> oil and gas uh you know we need to go hand in hand to the Saudis. i mean how how embarrassing is that and now I love the uh the Wall street journal editorial this morning, which was that uh you know the uh that uh Joe Biden now loves fracckers <laughs> uh,
2: what a change in narrative so, yeah it
0: is um So I I think that the Fed has been behind the curve. I wonder what you guys think. But I I just think they have not been attentive to this growing inflation threat. And um, we've got to to do something about the massive flow of money into the economy, which is obviously what creates this inflation. I've got to tell you, the worst thing we could do right now, folks, the absolute worst thing, would be to pass another $3 trillion debt bill funded with funny money and printed money, which is going to make inflation much worse in the, in the six months to come.
3: Well, Steve, I think that's the biggest problem. Well, you had the Federal Reserve's been injecting liquidity by you know purchasing long-duration bonds. They've been buying the Treasury bonds and buying mortgage-backed bonds. They keep talking about tapering and slowing it down. And maybe they're going to do it in November. Maybe they're going to do it in December. But this quantitative easing, right, where they've actually cornered the Treasury market. You know, the the U.S. government has cornered the 10-year Treasury market. they got all this liquidity in the system where banks don't have enough demand to lend it out, so it's kind of held captive. And I think that's why we're seeing every dip in the market bought, because when I talk to my clients every week, they're like, Bob, there's no alternative. Where are we going to put money? Let's keep buying stocks. I mean, they're going up, uh, especially, you know, companies that, uh, that hedge against inflation, like energy companies, financial companies. Um, we're seeing we saw a big huge move in the market this mm-hmm. week, especially with you know companies that benefit from inflation.
2: And we told you last week, Steve, for the record.
0: So there's a lot of money flowing into the United States. We're still the least rotten apple in the, in the so <laughs> and so we're still the
3: shining city.
0: Yeah, um, and so, but I've got to warn people though. You know, in the 1970s when we had high inflation, stocks got killed, just crushed. Uh, You know, in real terms, our Laffer loves to talk about this from 1968 to 1982. In real terms, stocks lost over 60 percent of their value. So in the short term, inflation can be good for stocks. But in the medium and long term, it's really, really bad for stocks because it reduces the real value of your investment. So we'll see how this plays out. I I think um, the Fed needs to start. Getting away from the zero interest rate policy, I think it has to stop the quantitative easing. And the most important thing right now, people aren't paying attention to, the Fed continues to own and, and uh, purchase these mortgage-backed securities. And the question, I'd, I'd throw this one back at you guys, <laughs> why? When you got the hottest market in 50 years for housing, why does the Fed have to continue to simulate it? I worry that they're building up a bubble just like we did in 2007 and eight. That when it popped, boy, did it cause problems.
2: Well, I think it's it's indicative of what the Fed does, right? They always take they're always too late. they are gonna take the punch bowl right. way too late. I mean, at this point, let, right. let's be real about it. We already know there's more jobs than people to fill them. Unemployment's one of their biggest gauges. We already know the economy's starting to heat up. So why don't they start the tapering now? You know, why are they even waiting? And it just seems to me like we know Jay Powell, you know, his time is limited. Um, is this a political move, you know, just to wait
0: well, here? You, you, you just made made a really interesting point at the end of that comment. You said, you know, his time is limited. Well, I'm not so sure. I mean, there's it, it might be. I'm not a conspiratorialist. But look, Jay Powell wants that job for another four years. We all know that he, he sure. really wants to be reappointed by Biden. And we also know that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, is supportive of him for a second term.
1: That's Uh, right.
0: And so it could this be that he's just juicing the markets and juicing the economy with all this cash so that he wins favor with Biden so he gets a second term. I hope that's wrong because you don't want to – you always hope that the Fed isn't being political. But in this case, I don't really (laughs) see any other explanation. As you guys said, I mean, the economy is good. The economy yeah. is good right now, no question about it. We got six percent growth, uh, slowing down a little bit, but um, it doesn't need juice right now. It needs less, <laughs> less yeah. uh, so so-called stimulus. And so I'm mystified by it. But I'm telling you, folks, uh, we're looking at five to six a gallon dollar a gallon gasoline in the month ahead, uh, because you're seeing already, you know, in in the UK, people are paying ten dollars a gallon for gas.
2: It's crazy, and we have Andy uh, Puzder on the line now. Andy, thanks for joining us. So what's going on? I want to know what's really going on right now uh, with the, the real economy. And you know from a business perspective, like what are you seeing with supply chains, inflation, employment? Like what's your viewpoint? Um, you, you're the CEO of, of one of the you know, biggest uh, fast food chains in the world.
4: Well, I'll tell you, if if your problem is that there are too many job openings that employers can't fill, And uh, and and not enough workers. The the worst thing you could possibly do is spend trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars to create more jobs, which which uh, Biden claims the government spending will do. You know, infrastructure jobs, green jobs, purple jobs, whatever kind of jobs. (laughs) Purple jobs. And then and then not only increase existing entitlement programs, but create a bunch more entitlement programs that discourage people from working. So, bottom line, the solution to there are too many jobs and not enough workers is not more jobs and less workers. It's more workers and less, you know, so they can take those jobs. Uh, and that that's exactly the opposite of the policy that, that Biden is pursuing. He's trying to, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm like Steve. I don't know what the heck these guys are doing. You, what what on earth is the po- it could possibly be the explanation? For addressing a job shortage by creating more jobs and a worker shortage by removing (laughs) workers. It just doesn't make any sense. Who are these
2: people? Have they seen the Jolts report? we got 11 million jobs right now. We only have like 9 million people to fill them, right? That's a great point. If we we have another infrastructure bill, like how many more jobs is that going to create? And, you know, what happens with that labor shortage? I mean, are you seeing just the costs go up uh, on a labor perspective at, you know, at Hardee's, at Carl's Jr.? I mean, what's happening right now in terms of wages? Because I think it's got to be a nightmare.
4: Well, I, I tell you, I, I spend the summers up in uh, in northwestern Michigan in Traverse City. And I, on the way to the airport, I flew to Cleveland yesterday on the way to the airport. I drove by two McDonald's that were advertising starting wages at twenty one dollars an hour. Wow. Uh, so this, so wages here. We've got a tripartite problem with inflation. Number one, wages are, are soaring because there aren't enough workers. Right. And yeah supplies what you need the inputs you need to run your business are soaring because one we don't have people to manufacture them domestically we don't have people to unload the shipping uh, crates that come in from overseas and then if they get them unloaded they don't have people to drive the trucks to deliver them so <laughs> you, your wages are soaring supply costs are soaring because you know we we can't get the supplies and then you've got the government printing money you know like it's uh, like it's newspaper so you're, you're seeing the value of the dollar diminish the cost of supplies go up and the cost of labor go up. Well, you know what? What sane person doesn't know that that's going to cause hyperinflation? I mean, you have to be like ignoring reality not to know that.
2: Well, and I think that's the greatest pain point that no one talks about that you just mentioned. There is look, since we had that Cares Act back last March, the dollar has been tanking, right? And and, and having a weak dollar is so inflationary because we import so many goods and services from overseas. That the prices are just going to go up exponentially on top of labor, on top of supply chain shortages. Now you have a weak dollar. That's like you know that's really put your feet to the fire with regards to this monetary and fiscal policy. It's just creating a complete nightmare.
4: Well, and as you know, the the, the uh, Fed is is uh, I don't know if printing is the right word anymore because it may just happen on a you know in a computer. Program. But they're in effect <laughs> like Bitcoin, yeah, 100, yeah, one hundred and twenty billion dollars of new dollars every month Uh, and we've increased the money supply in the United States by a third since the pandemic began back in February of 2020. Well, if we have a third more dollars out there and we don't have this, you know, we do have good economic growth, but we don't have enough economic growth to justify expanding the money supply by a third without seeing the value of those dollars individually decline. So we're, we're, we're in a, you know somebody needs to they say the adults are in charge in Washington DC well i wish one of them would stand up and understand that supply and demand are still a real thing uh, and the more you you know the more you juice you juice demand and uh, and don't offer any supply solutions the harder it's going to be for the american people cuz this inflation inflation hits working and middle class americans you know it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit the, you know the top 10% or 15% or 20% as hard because they have income so gas goes up you know you're paying a little more for gas but people that are getting by that are trying to get by day to day the people that the democrats claim they actually want to help the biden says he's going to help are getting ki- are getting killed by this they're going to get killed by this inflation and there are ways to stop it but you have to reverse you know you can't be uh, Bernie Sanders and, uh, and AOC and, <laughs> and pursue their policies and think this is going to help anybody. Well,
3: that's they awesome. keep telling us that there's that's going awesome. to be zero cost as reconciliation plan, Andy. <laughs> but, you know, you know that there's this insidious hidden tax. It's, it's uh, you say it's applied to the lower income and middle class. And that's called inflation. And I think everyone is seeing it now. They know what their paycheck is. They're seeing what's happened at the grocery store. They see what happens when they fill up the tank of gas inflation's real it's here you can believe the fed or you can believe your lion eyes
4: yeah <laughs> there was a there was a great cartoon on the babylon Bee this morning i don't know if you saw it but, but it, their, their stuff is so funny but it was bernie sanders is preparing to retire because he's almost turned america into venezuela job done <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it, i wish you know it, that's yeah. funny i wish it wasn't I, I, yeah, I wish it was a little less funny, maybe, because it uh, it comes so close to the truth. That's where they're going. That's what they want. Seventy-three percent of Venezuelans now live in uh, extreme poverty. That's mm-hmm. uh, worldwide. The number's about nine percent. In Venezuela, it's 73 percent. And in two, as recently as 2011, they were the most prosperous country in South America. They sit on an ocean of oil. And 73% of the people are living in poverty. If that's what you want for America, we are on the right path.
2: Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I know, Steve, you just joined us again. But I think that's that's the bottom line is we're, we're going down this 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 route here with policy that's just super inflationary. And I just think no one's talking about it enough. Um, and, you know, if they don't stop the printing soon or creating it digitally, we could be in big trouble.
0: Well, I want to make another point. It's related to what Andy was just saying, which is that what what this bill really is, what I call this gobzilla bill, uh, and it is lurching us towards, uh, towards uh, you know, take government socialism. Andy is right. But it's essentially, we don't know exactly the price tag, but let's say it's going to be about $3 trillion. It's a lot of money. Um, that's a $3 trillion of transfer of wealth from and, and control of money from the private sector, <laughs> which creates the wealth in the first place, to the government sector, to, to having politicians have control of the money rather than businesses and workers. I've found that to be highly disturbing. Anyone who thinks that somehow that is going to stimulate the economy and make America more competitive, think again. <laughs> um, and so uh, we got to kill this bill. I think Larry Kudlow, who was on earlier today on this station, had it so right. we got to save this country by killing the bill. There's no need for it. Even from a Keynesian standpoint, if you believe in the idea of stimulus, government of stimulus, which I don't, the government doesn't need stimulating right now. I mean, we've got, we've got uh, an economy that is, it is uh, doing well, thanks in large part to the vaccine and getting our businesses reopened. So yeah. uh, I, I want to make one other quick point, which is, why is it that our transportation secretary has been on leave for two months <laughs> when in fact, as, as Andy has said, you know, this is a, this is a transportation crisis, right, Andy? I mean, how can you really explain that? Although he did, you see, he's coming out of uh, of uh, off of leave so he can go to the climate change conference.
2: <laughs>
0: well, this, this,
4: well, it took me is, off. of was paid how, leave. <laughs> this is how the progress Yeah, that's exactly right. This is how the progressives think. They think it's it, despite the fact that the country is going through a major crisis with respect to shipping and transportation. They, the progressive, think it was a good thing that this guy took off so he could help his husband with taking care of their children i you know I, it just it just blows your mind the man accepts a position as a cabinet member in the united states it, it, the president's cabinet and everybody thinks it's okay that he takes a month off in the midst of a crisis this is just insanity and you know on the inflation issue it's just it's not just steve moore and larry kudlow and andy Puster saying these things but this is larry summers is you know the the uh the obama administration secretary the treasury head of the council of economic advisors under president i under president obama clinton secretary of the treasury he's been out there since february saying inflation's coming don't even enact the 1.9 trillion that they passed in march let alone this this 3.5 trillion uh a uh, beast that we do need to kill we need to That's kill right. the bill but he was he's been saying since february this is going to lead to inflation so this yeah. is there, there's there's so much. Like I said, is if there really is an adult in the White House, would he please or would she please identify themselves? <laughs> well, you because make it. There's no you can't tell.
2: <laughs> you, you make a great point, because I think the other misconception here is, well, you know, if they stop the printing press, the economy is going to stop. Well, all this money already hasn't been spent yet. There's trillions just sitting there that still haven't been spent already. Like, why are we going to add more stimulus when the stimulus that's already been essentially sprinkled upon the economy, that's still that's still ready to go, right? We haven't even seen that deployed on the economy yet uh, because, you know, for reality, we're not 100% open for business yet. So, you know, there's still a lot of money just sitting there idle. I think it's like, you know, Americans have $2 trillion more today than they did pre-pandemic. Like, that money's ready to go. <laughs> so, like, we haven't even seen that effect on inflation yet. So if they add these additional... Uh, packages on top of it. It's just like mind numbing when you start thinking about what could happen here.
4: Well, let
0: me add to what what you're just saying, because not only do you have the inflation effect that you all were talking about, but then you have this problem with this bill. If you read through the bill, it's 2,500 pages, by the way, once last time any of you read a 2,500 page (laughs) book, Um, very few of these members even know what's in this bill, but we've been going through it pretty, pretty thoroughly and intensely. And what you find is it's all this free stuff. You know, everything's going to be free. Rent is going to be free. Your food is going to be free. You know, food stamps, it's going to be expanded. Uh, You can't pay your student loan. We'll pay that off. There's all of these, uh, you know, child care subsidies, but they, they phase out over time as your income goes up. And so we've had Casey Mulligan, who's one of the top labor economists in the United States at the University of Chicago, do a little study for us at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And what he's found is that, if you pass that bill, over the next 10 years, we will have 7 million fewer Americans working. Wow. Because the discentives are 7 million. Wow, Is right. I mean, Andy, can you imagine that, the, the burden yeah. that's going to put on our small businesses when you're paying people to stay out of the workforce?
4: Exactly. This will kill. This will kill small businesses. It will kill some large businesses. And that, those 7 million fewer people are on top of – the uh, the hey, the people that are working currently, yeah, yeah. It, we're yeah. we're way below where we should be today. This is seven million more people. It's this is such it's such fiscal and monetary nonsense. You re I, yeah. again, I, you know, I, I wish the people who are the adults in the room would stand <laughs> up in Washington because yeah. we need them to stand up quickly before any of this. Could yeah. you imagine we're in a situation where Joe Manchin and Kristen Samina are the voices of reason? I mean, they are the thin yeah. blue line <laughs> right between us. And and economic Armageddon, things are so bad in the in the uh, in the Biden White House right now that, one, the only solution that he said he had a national strategy to defeat COVID. Apparently, it's getting people vaccinated with Donald Trump's vaccines. Then he wants now they're going to reinitiate the Mexico uh, policy from the Trump administration, which which they should do. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was condemning it during the election un American. Well, now he realizes they have to put it back in. And now they're asking, they finally, after OPEC and Russia have refused to increase production to lower prices wow. to benefit Biden, he's now going yeah. to American oil companies that he's he's bit, you know, he's he's just destroyed. He's really just been all over, just criticized. Now he's going to them asking them to increase production. It, it's <laughs> This is yeah. a, this is a terrible, terrible across the board situation. We really need to make sure that this is we do something quickly to resolve the problems we're facing, or at least reduce the numbers.
2: Yeah, and I want to talk more about that energy situation. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, let's let's talk a little about that because I think Putin right now is very, very happy. So let's uh, let's discuss what's going on with energy when we come right back
1: this is more money with economist steve moore now steve moore
2: all right we're back
1: talking everything economy
2: inflation supply chains we've got our main man here andy Puzder is with us today and andy you know just mentioning about how uh you know the energy situation's a big problem it's extremely inflationary right now and that's you know, one area, we've seen oil prices go up by 100% in 12 months. We're at a seven-year high in energy, and a lot of it is the mismanagement of policies. All of a sudden, we're seeing a different rhetoric out of Washington, uh, given the fact that we're starting to see supply shortages. Who would have thunk?
4: So who would have thunk is right. And obviously, there, there at least is somebody in the White House that's looking at the polls because every time <laughs> somebody gets gas – you know, they're they're going. My God, what, what idiot is running this place? So, so you've got you know the thing that gets me about this it's energy policy. And Steve's much more of an expert on this than me. But what I never really understood, and I still don't understand, is how does it help reduce carbon emissions across the world if we burn Russian oil as opposed to American <laughs> oil? Like, is there is the, does the Russian oil have some lower carbon level that, that makes this okay? And then you've got uh, you've got Europe which because they're not getting America's natural gas, because we've cut back on production, they don't have the natural gas they need, they're now starting to use coal. So how does it help the world's you know carbon emissions that Europe changes from natural gas to coal? This is such insanity. Uh, personally, I blame, I blame the environmentalists for the carbon emissions in the atmosphere because they're the ones that are killing nuclear power. If we could use nuclear power like the French do, 70% of their electricity, we would materially reduce carbon emissions. By not doing that, the environmentalists are, in effect, forcing us to increase carbon emissions in the atmosphere, to heat ourselves, to cool ourselves, to travel, to keep businesses going. Uh, so we're, this is – somebody needs to grab a hold of this and say, look, this policy makes sense, this policy doesn't. And we're just not seeing that today. So,
0: Andy, Andy it's a lot worse than you even said. It's a great summary <laughs> of where we're at. But just to give you a sense of how upside down our energy policy is, and even if you're – You know, you believe that climate change is one of the greatest, you know, uh, challenges on Earth, which I don't. But if you do, um, what is the sense of closing down nuclear plants? And there is one functioning nuclear power plant left in California, and the environmentalists want to shut that down, which I mean, this is pretty obvious point. But I want to stress it in case people don't know. Nuclear power emits zero Greenhouse gases <laughs> it is the cleanest. Now, here's another irony of this war on natural gas, because natural gas is the reason the United States has reduced our carbon emissions more than any of the other countries that all signed the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, which is that because now there's a natural gas shortage in Europe, do you know what uh, form of energy uh, Europe is turning to now? Oil. <laughs> no, not oil. Coal. Oh, coal and coal. There you go. The, the, the dirtiest <laughs> so, of, uh, of yeah. the dirty energies. Think, yeah. Think about the irony of that. Yeah. that you know, they, the, very, uh, the very fuel they hate the most is the one that the Europeans are turning to because natural gas prices have quadrupled. Now, as an economics st- uh, question, why in the world, when we're seeing massive increases in prices in oil and gas, oil is now $80 a barrel. And, and natural gas prices have quadrupled. Why are we producing it?
4: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, there's one guy real happy that we're not. You know, his last name is Putin. <laughs> he's yeah, you know, yeah. he's yeah. as pleased as can be. I mean, the Russian economy thrives on oil. We, matter of fact, President Reagan defeated the soviet union one of the elements of it was increasing significantly the price of uh, the uh, decreasing significantly the price of oil they love oil they love high oil prices this is playing right into they you know they everybody said trump was putin's buddy it just wasn't true but it sure looks like somebody's putin's <laughs> buddy because this this has got to be helping putin politically and uh, economically yeah, ironically
0: yes so I would add to that that the two biggest winners – I said this before the election, that if Biden won the election, the two biggest winners would be Vladimir Putin and President Xi in China. And that's the mm-hmm. way it's turning out. And I hope that no one actually believes that China cares about climate change because I hear, no. you know, that's the last thing <laughs> on their mind. But they care about sand. global domination. So we've got a lot of work to do to get back to – and by the way, Donald Trump, for the first time in any of our lifetimes – By the time he left office, America was completely energy independent. We were actually selling more oil and gas than we were buying, and now we're, we're doing exactly the opposite. Um, you
4: know what? What? What genius thought that if the if the third largest energy exporter in the world—that's the United States—we became the third largest energy exporter. If the third largest energy exporter announced it was going to reduce production, that that wouldn't increase the price of oil.
2: <laughs> well, the Russian stock market is up thirty uh, percent this year, drastically outpacing the S and P five hundred. So, uh, you know, clearly their economy is on 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 the up and up here. Ironically. Uh, under the Biden administration, which you would have think the opposite. So it's, uh, you yeah, know, I think ironic. one of the
3: biggest problems that we haven't talked about, you know, Andy, you said you saw the signs for twenty one dollar an hour employment in the McDonald's. But, you know, their cost of energy and food is going up more than that compensates them. You know, in terms of working, you have this income inequality that becomes an even bigger issue. You know, when you have all this inflation. Right. Because you, you have to invest in the capital markets to offset that inflation.
4: Yeah, but just quickly, because wow. I hear the music, keep in mind, 2018 and 2019, income inequality declined in both years.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. By the way, I just want to say in closing, thank you, Citizen Payne, for uh, <laughs> hosting the show this week. I'll be back Steve see more next week on More Money, and you guys do a fantastic job. We will be back. Same time next week at 1 o'clock, and uh, hope everybody has a great,
2: great week ahead. Awesome. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Thanks, Andy. See you guys. Great to be here. All right.
3: Be bullish.
1: (laughs) Stop. ED is no laughing matter. This could be caused from low T, high blood pressure, or diabetes. Elevate Wellness can help. 40% of men over 40 have experienced this. Make the call to Elevate Wellness now. 973-354-2276. 973-354-2276. The office visit is only $99 and includes exam, blood work, test dose, and consultation. Call Elevate Wellness. 973-354-2276. Or Elevate Wellness Group dot
0: com.